Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Business of Craft Beer podcast, recorded live from the University of Vermont's Continuing and Distance Education Department with your host, Greg Dunkley. Whether you're looking to break into the craft beer industry or start your own brewery, this podcast is for you. Each week we will discuss all aspects of the craft beer industry from sales, operations, marketing, trends, and analysis with industry experts and thought leaders. If you'd like to be part of the show, please call 929-477-1757. And now here's your host, Greg Dunkel. Well, uh, good afternoon. This is Greg Dunkling. Uh, you're listening to the Business of Craft Beer Blog Talk Radio Show. We're coming to you live from Burlington, Vermont. Uh, if you've dreamed about opening your own brewery or looking for a career change into the craft industry, our online certificate program offers industry-specific knowledge to make that possible. Uh, your instructors are craft beer experts uh, from across the U.S. and Canada. The University of Vermont's Business of Craft Beer program was developed for those specifically wanting to learn about the business side of this exciting industry. And for further details, give us a call at 800-639-3210 or visit our Facebook page at Facebook, uh, UVM Business of Craft Beer. So uh, for today's show, um, we are examining the state of today's craft beer industry with two guests, uh, Paul Leone, uh, Executive Director of the New York State Brewers Association, and, uh, and then later, uh, Paul Dukensky of Blindbat Brewery, located on Long Island, and uh, we'll bring Paul in in just a few minutes. So um, New York uh, State is, of course, a major uh, contributor to the craft beer industry, with 208, probably that number is even higher now, craft breweries, which ranks fifth, and in production volume, uh, ranking seventh uh, nationally. Uh, this week's session will explore trends in the industry as viewed from New York and a range of topics, uh, including what we should expect in terms of future industry growth, trends in distribution in small nanobreweries, and their importance in the local beer movement. So, uh, welcome, Paul. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Greg. So, let's, um, let's begin by uh, looking at some data. Uh, based on the Brewers Association information, uh, New York breweries produced uh, 640,000 barrels uh, approximately in 2011, and over a million barrels last year, if my math is correct. It's, that's a 70% increase in five years. Uh, paint for us a picture of the brewing scene in New York. Uh, how many new breweries opened last year? How do you break down uh, the 208-plus the breweries in terms of production levels? Well, actually, I think our current number is 288 breweries. Um, The the Brewers Association doesn't count contract brewers, and we do, um, because the vast majority of them have tasting rooms. And and although they don't brew their beer uh, at their current locations, we still count them. So we're at 288 now. Um, In 2015, we had 193. Uh, We grew about... you know, um, we've grown from 193 last year to 288 this year. So wow. uh, with about 30 more in planning. So, it, you know, we're, we're opening breweries in, in New York at a tremendous rate. Wow. 
And when you look at those numbers, I, I think I charted uh, the Brewers Association numbers from last year and saw, you know, the dramatic number of breweries at the 1,000 and under level. Um, you can sort of slice it any way you want, but uh, even 2,000, a dramatic number, uh, something like 90% are under under that level. When you look at New York, um, how many of your breweries are under 5,000 barrels a year? Oh, um, you know, all of them except for about 15, uh-huh. okay. uh, to be honest with you. So the vast majority, we, we, we start our levels at around 2,500. That We track from 2,500 barrels or less. Um, mm-hmm. But I can tell you that the vast majority, over half, are under 1,000 barrels. Yeah, okay. Uh, <clears throat> one of these upcoming sessions, we're going to be uh, dealing with sort of the economics of the craft industry and, and delving mm-hmm. into you know how how businesses function uh at those low production levels um and uh um so we'll uh, stay tuned for for those shows um so many brewers associations um or guilds as some states refer to them uh focus on marketing and promotion uh the festivals and passport programs among other events um legislation and lobbying of course and mm-hmm. industry ed- education uh what is the role of the New York Brewers Association, and what do you spend most of your time focused on in your work? Yeah, our mission, you know, uh, obviously is to pr- protect and promote New York craft beer. Um, you know, the board has tasked me with, you know, three, three uh, areas of focus. Uh, first and foremost is fundraising because uh, we are a nonprofit. Second is legislation, and third is marketing. Um, you know, we, we fundraising is a really important part uh, of what we need to do because without, you know, decent fundraising, we can't do the other things. So fundraising has to be number one uh, on our list, and, and we do that primarily uh, through you know, brewers festivals. Membership dues are lows, uh, low, so they don't really provide a lot of money. But even that has become a challenge. Um, you know, there's the, the brewers festivals that are out there today um, in every state, you know, there's one, it seems, you know, every week in every town somewhere um, in each state. And so uh, not only the New York State Brewers Association, but most of the guilds around the country are really struggling to, to get a foothold uh, of, of that as a fundraising piece. It used to be much easier, and, and it's gotten so diluted out there. So our fundraising efforts have been hampered a bit by by everyone wanting to do a beer festival, it seems, because they are uh, fairly profitable um, if done right. So fundraising has been a challenge, and it's really been a central focus for us. Um, yep. legis- legislatively, you know, we have it really good here in New York State. We have a governor um, that really has tried to help our industry uh, any way he can. And, and to, to pass things legislatively here in New York State, it's been fairly easy. Um, knock on wood, because of, of, you know, not only the number of breweries, but I think, you know, the governor and, and, and the politicians of New York State understand that that, you know, the more breweries that are open or wineries or cideries or distilleries really is manufacturing jobs, um, yeah. you know, that's pouring money into the economy. So I think they really get that here in New York State. Yeah. Have, has the state or have you commissioned uh, through through the association an economic impact study to look at the, the the impact of the craft beer sector, uh, even even secondary, you know, tourism and things related to the industry, but not direct uh, employment in the industry. 
Yeah, we did. A, we actually had an economic impact study done thanks to the Wine and Grape Foundation um, in New York State. They they uh, gave us some money to get one done in 2013 uh, and 14, and those numbers showed uh, that we were a 3.5 billion dollar economic impact just craft beer alone. Um, yeah. And you know, and, and tourism played a big role in that. You know, it, it's broken down about 500 million in tourism and and all of the other businesses that that are uh, opening. Um, around New York State due to our brewing industry. So I would argue um, that, you know, we're well over $4 billion right now in total economic impact. Wow. Yeah. Um, although your uh, 288, I think you said, breweries are, are probably uh, very diverse and therefore have different uh, challenges and needs, um, although skewed towards the, the smaller uh, breweries, could you describe some of the key issues that your members are, are talking about and calling you up and uh, bending your ear about? Yeah, I think that, you know, we, we created a farm brewing license in 2013, and that really, that license was really designed to kind of reignite the hop industry in New York State, which we used to dominate before Prohibition. Uh, the vast majority of hops in this country came from New York State before Prohibition, and, and uh, a downy mildew and, and Prohibition pretty much wiped the industry out. So a farm brewing license was created because really New York is an ag state. So, you know, you can grow uh, barley in this state, you can grow hops in this state. So with the farm brewing license, um, you know, right now uh, it's tiered. You, if you have a farm brewing license, you get a wide variety of benefits and, and discounts um, uh, by having that license. And right now, the requirement is 20% New York State ingredients has to be in your beer, and that goes up to 60% in 2019 and to 90% in 2024. So as the industry slowly climbs back, those with farm brewing licenses really are nervous about the jump to 60%. Um, yeah. And what that'll do to their business, it costs more to buy locally grown hops, and barley is a challenge, and to find the quality. So, although we've spurred new industries in New York State, there's over 400 acres of hops now. Um, there's over 2,000 acres of barley planted. There's 10 malt houses. Um, none of that really existed just a few years ago. So, so these are some of the challenges that we face here in New York State from from the brewing side. Okay, thanks. Um, the, the industry has seen uh, strong double-digit growth for a few years, um, but appears to be slowing down. Uh, Ibis World anticipates a 4.5% growth rate each year over the next five years. Um, what are your eyes and ears telling you? Boy, you know, that the bubble isn't uh, ready to burst yet here in New York State. You know, I, I think that the reason why you're seeing the growth is because um, it's being supported right now. Um, you know, millennials are, are driving this, um, and, and they really you know, care about what's local and what's being made local. And Gen Xers aren't far behind uh, in terms of numbers of, of folks that are drawn to craft beer. We always say here in New York State that you know, we try to tell the breweries that it's, it's not enough to open a brewery, but the quality of the beer has to be good. Um, if mm. the quality is not good, then I think that's when you're really going to start seeing the, the rates slow down here. Um, the brewers, are, or millennials today especially, you know, there's this saying that you, when, you, when you start drinking beer, if you drink beer, that you usually drink what your parents drink. Um, and, and I think for millennials, the, the, their parents 
drank craft beer and do drink craft beer. So you can't really slip a bad beer by this group of people. And so quality is really the utmost importance. And I think that if you see quality go down, then you're going to see the, the, the rate slow way down. Um, there's a, you know, New York's a big state, and, and there's you know, over 20 million people in this state. So, so the population is there um, to, to support this as long as the quality is good. Uh, I'd like to introduce our second guest today, uh, Paul Dubukensky of Blind Bat Brewery, located in Centerpoint, Long Island, um, New York, of course. Uh, welcome, Paul. Hi, thank you. Thank you very much, Gregory. And hi, and hi Paul. Hey, Paul. <laughs> how are you? <laughs> okay, how are you doing, sir? Good. So let's let's um, uh, pursue this, and the two of you jump into this. Um, if the growth does indeed settle out at uh, a slower number, maybe four to five percent per year, uh, eventually, if if not this next year, uh, what impact do you see this playing on your member breweries? Um, and if a brewery has become accustomed to a twenty thirty percent growth per year. Um, if the entire industry is slowing, how might this ripple out to brew pubs, micros, regionals, uh, uh, even contract brewers? Paul, you want uh, to take that one? Yeah, sure. Yeah, if I may, uh, um, I, I would think of those of those types of breweries that you outlined, I think brew pubs would probably be the best uh, positioned uh, for uh, healthy business, providing that uh, not only is the beer good, but the food as well. Um, I've, I've been to uh, some fantastic brew pubs, and I've been, you know, over the years in some where the beer was good, but the food not so much, and vice versa. So it's really like any business. You can see the sector as a whole might be either healthy or not, but uh, it's really up to the individual uh, folks running their business to run it well and and quality is quality is key as as paul was saying it's it's not like it was 20 30 years ago where you could say hey look it's a local beer and people would drink it and say oh okay great uh, and not really think too much about the quality as much uh, the competition is fierce and local is interesting to some people a good amount of people but um there are so many world-class national breweries now from the West Coast building East Coast facilities, such as New Belgium, where if you're a small local brewery trying to distribute, uh, you're, you're up against some incredible competition quality-wise, and they can also produce beer at a, an economy of scale that uh, your, your pricing model, you may have to really seriously look at what you can, what you can do. Mm. And, and Paul, you know, I'd like to add um, as well to that. Greg, I think you know you're in Vermont, and um, and I think that the interesting part of growth is, and the one thing we don't have in New York State, there, there are some states where the the population in that state are, are just fiercely loyal to their beer. Vermont being mm-hmm. one of those places. You know, Vermont yeah. does, has a lot of great breweries, and the people of Vermont really, really, really support. Uh, their local breweries in New York State, not so much. You know, I think that you know we're such a a diverse state that um, you know it's a challenge for us to get New Yorkers to to really think about their beer uh, and be fiercely loyal to it, like like Vermont and Colorado and California and a few other states. So that's a bit of a challenge for us as well. Uh-huh. Which, uh, yeah, which I can actually uh, kind of a parallel case is, is Long Island uh, wineries, which have been going on the North Fork mainly of Long Island, but some on the South Fork. 
since the 70s and 80s, and there are some really wonderful wines being produced on Long Island, but it's still um, a mindshare issue where you know even people who grew up and live on Long Island don't necessarily give Long Island wines a chance. And then we're so close to New York City, an incredible marketplace for you know restaurants and uh, et cetera. And and even there, it's 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 tough. New Yorkers are used to getting the best of the best from around the world, um, so uh, local is not, I think, I think Paul is right, is not as embraced as it is in some places like Vermont. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, we definitely do. I mean, obviously uh, there are still people who do. There's always going to be a segment of people who are into it, but yeah, maybe yeah. not as high a percentage. Yeah, we, it's, we do see incredible loyalty, as you point out, Paul, here, here in Vermont. Uh, we take great pride in, in our craft beer industry, and, and uh, people are uh, terribly loyal, uh, which is a good thing for our breweries, a good thing for our economy. Um, and then beer tourism has really taken off, and people travel. I meet people from all over the country who are visiting Vermont uh, because they're primarily on uh, beer tours. Um, they're going to some of their favorite breweries to pick up stuff that they can't, you know, products that they can't uh, get back home um, or just to meet people, you know, meet, meet the people behind the beer if they if they're able to. And Vermont's a beautiful state to visit and obviously wonderful products of all sorts of, of sectors, including beer. But Vermont itself is, is somewhat of a brand uh, somehow like Brooklyn has become if uh there's almost a cachet to saying your, you know, your product, be it beer or something else, is from Vermont or Brooklyn. Those, yes. those, those, yeah. they seem to resonate with people around the country. Yeah. Um, so, Paul of Blind Bat, uh, tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about your your brewery. Um, when did you open, uh, and what is unique? Uh, what is your unique status, sort of, in the craft beer industry in Long Island? And I understand that you're a little, a little bit in Manhattan as well. Or maybe Brooklyn. yeah, I get I get my beer into into the city a bit. Um, I I started the brewery as a part time endeavor while working a full time job in publishing. Uh, launched it in 2008. By the time I got all the licensing in place, um, primarily I I wanted to start. It's almost proof of concept phase. Uh, it's become an extended uh, proof of concept phase. I think anyone thinking of opening at a nano level should uh, have an eye towards expansion because I I myself and any other nano brewers that I've spoken with have yet to find a way to make a nano scale brewery a true going concern business wise but I knew that I was interested in brewing some beers that uh, I was interested in drinking that I couldn't get my hands on and I thought well let me first start this on a small scale to see if there's any interest in, in the types of things that I was interested in and still am interested in brewing and drinking. Uh, primarily, I do a n- number of different smoked beers. I smoke the malt myself. Uh, I like to use local ingredients, uh, some of which my wife grows. She's an organic grower, uh, be they you know, herbs, uh, or sometimes I do, um, I do a uh, Long Island potato stout. It's like a dry Irish stout, but I use local organic potatoes. I do a uh, potato saison. Uh, I do an oy- obviously oyster stout here on Long Island uh, is almost a natural idea. Um, so it's, it's playing around with those kind of things that I was interested in in the beginning. And uh, the last couple of years has really just been the challenge of uh, identifying and securing that next step, the uh, location uh, facility large enough to really increase production and finally have a tasting room and all that. Uh-huh. 
Well, you've been at this for eight years, so um, obviously, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, uh, obviously, you've made a go of it, and uh, it's more than just a hobby, it seems. Well, correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's funny, at eight years being the graybeard, but um, uh, but in, in the local scene, it's uh, New York State as a whole has really been exploding lately. We're um, yeah. we're behind a lot, of, a lot of the rest of the country. And I understand you you, uh, you distribute your beer yourself. Yes, yes, self-distributing. Um, I have friends with breweries here on the island who have signed with distributors, and um, there are pluses and minuses to going either route. Uh, with a, if you're going with a big distributor, they will take basically in the neighborhood of 30% of the wholesale price of your product. Uh, so you need to make sure you're making enough volume to, uh, to account for that. And uh, even though they will be getting your beer into places that you might not normally be able to get to just for, you know, time and physical constraints. So if you were to be trying to drive around and distribute it yourself, um, each of the folks that I know who are with big distributors still have to have their own dedicated salesperson on their, on their, you know, that they pay themselves. So um, there's, there's a bit of a, of a, of a, of a cost associated with going with uh, signing with a distributor, but they do take, you know, a lot of the backbreaking aspects of it, you know, hauling kegs around uh, a lot of these bar stairs, mm-hmm. particularly in the city, or <laughs> if you saw these steps, you'd say, I, I, I don't even want to go down there, but meanwhile, you've got to haul a, <laughs> uh, a keg down those steps, uh, a couple hundred pounds sometimes. It's it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> so hearing, the advantage um, there is self-distributing, I get to know and talk with the bar managers and restaurant owners, et cetera, directly, um, which is also um, what I enjoy about doing farmer's markets. I'm generally at the farmer's market myself where my wife is, and uh, they were really talking with the folks who were buying the beer to consume it themselves, and uh, they'll come back every week and we'll get feedback, and, and that's a real good way to stay in contact with your customers. So that that's um... – Right in line with what I was going to explore with both of you next, um, uh, we're hearing more brewery staff describe their focus as hyper-local in terms of their marketing and distribution. Um, in, in, in some cases, we're talking about you know 25-mile radius from your brewery, mm-hmm. really focusing on that market before thinking about expansion uh, beyond that. Um, how right. would you describe, you know, I think you've described your focus as being, by, by the nature of your brewery, uh, very, very local. Um, and yes. I'm wondering, uh, uh, Paul, uh, Leon, how are your member breweries approaching uh, this focus uh, to going to market? It's, it's a real challenge uh, for, for the vast majority of brewers uh, in the state, and it's getting it's getting harder um, you know, there, the, the, the big merger, the ABI-Miller uh, merger, um, is very scary for a lot of people. And the whole idea behind that merger and, and what they're hoping to accomplish is to control distribution of beer. Um, and so that means less tap lines available. It means um, less shelf space available. So, so even, you know, on the hyper-local level or, or much wider than that, um, you know, getting your, getting your beer on, on tap handles in most places is a challenge. Um, not only that, um, because it is controlled by big beer, regardless of what they say, it's controlled by big beer. And, and even, even the restaurant folks who do take control and say, you know what, I, I do want local or hyper-local, 
What's also a challenge for brewers, especially small brewers, is the fact that, you know, uh, consumers want to know, okay, what's next? What's the shiny new toy? So, you know, Paul with Blind Bat might have a really great IPA out um, and, and have it on tap one day, but customers might say, okay, I've had that, but what's next? Um, and mm-hmm. so you get a lot of bars now rotating uh, handles or, or going back to brewers and say, yeah, this beer is really good, but I want something new and different. So there are, you know, it's not a dark picture, but there are certainly challenges um, to getting tap handles and distribution, um, regardless if it's hyper-local or, or not. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, areas that we focus in in our program is branding and marketing. Um, and and our, our participants uh, come from across the United States uh, and, and in other countries as well. And, and uh, sort of regardless of where they are geographically, um, th- they're finding that um, it, it's very, very similar in that you walk into a, a retail uh, a, a store where they're selling canned or bottled uh, beer, and uh, one of the assignments is actually to photograph what they're seeing and what stands out in terms of brands. Mm. Um, but, you know, now there's a sea of, of product that's out there, and great those of us who are um, really interested in craft products and want to try things that we can't get um, or couldn't get previously. Um, but on the other hand, it must make it incredibly challenging for the producers uh, and the distributors to to really d- develop that kind of brand awareness, uh, given the, the the many products that 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 they um, they have to move in these. Uh, these coolers on the floor of, of retail stores, uh, it must be just incredibly difficult. It's a challenge for sure. <laughs> I think, I think you pretty much, uh, covered it there. I mean, it's, um, and as we were saying, there's, you know, more and more breweries, both locally, uh, coming up and then, uh, national expansion of brands and people do want as Paul was saying you know the, what's what's the new what's the new shiny thing I find that even on on the, the talk about hyper super hyper local level when I'm at the farmers market every every week uh-huh. and I'll have a beer out and the next week people come I love that that was awesome what else do you have you know they uh-huh. it's not that they don't want to drink that they would never drink that again it's just they're people like uh novelty we're we're novelty seeking creatures i suppose uh the days of uh you know i only drink brand x beer uh is is long behind us uh unless you're a dedicated bud light drinker i suppose uh-huh. yeah As- as, as an association, we, we've um, trademarked Think New York, Drink New York, and, and as a campaign, um, you know, we try to get New Yorkers to, to, to think about local first. And a lot of um, – there's a few wholesalers in the state, and, and some of the more forward-thinking, um, you know, grocery stores um, or beverage centers are now making sections of just New York State beer. And I think that they've found, um, A, it helps the consumer who wants to buy local, and B, that they actually sell more beer. You know, I I think the consumer is very wise when they walk in to say, hey, because you're right, it's a sea of labels, and it's a sea of, you know, it's hard to tell which is what, you know, it's hard to tell even, like, what kind of beer is in these packages Mm. just because there's so many of them from a marketing standpoint. So I think some of the the better uh, beverage uh, centers and, and grocery stores are now, you know, breaking it up, saying, you know, this is Midwest beer, this is Northeast beer, this is New York beer, and and, and it yeah. helps the consumer, and I also think it helps sell more beer. Yeah, it's it's similar to wine, right? Uh, you 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 go sure. into the 
Arian, you can determine geographically where the wine is from, and it certainly helps. Um, the, the, other, the other thing I tend to prefer is to see in terms of branding that the, that the breweries are, are putting in, in sort of bold, prominent uh, ways the style of the beer that I don't have yeah, to hunt. Right. I don't have to pick up the bottle and can and turn it around to find out what style is this? What exactly am I buying? Yeah, I can say I've been guilty of that myself, and I've, I've been trying to get back to a more simple uh, label design and naming of beers. Uh, particularly, it's become more of a challenge because you think you've come up with a unique and clever name for a beer, and you're really attached to the idea, and then you find out uh, you know, someone else has already gotten that name uh, <laughs> out there. So uh, sometimes it's just best to say you know, your brand name on top and the style beneath it. And uh, instead of trying to come up with clever names, I, I agree. I've had the same problem both as a consumer and also with just as a brewer, uh, figuring out, like, what the heck is this? Can we talk a minute about, uh, you touched, Paul, earlier on distribution. Um, and are, are you seeing uh, an increased number of specialty uh, distributors that are just craft houses? Um, is that happening in New York yet? Yes, uh, there's a lot of, um, uh, th- there are several uh, distributors that are, are now getting more of a robust, um, whether they're a Miller House or, or a, uh, whether they're a Coor- Miller Coors House or they're a Bud House, are, you know, getting really good craft portfolios. But there are um, several distributors uh, popping up in the state that are, are really focused on craft alone, and, and they're succeeding. Um, distribution's not easy, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of states, if you think about it, that still don't allow self-distribution. The, the wholesalers are, are, you know, afraid that, oh, my gosh, we'll lose business. And what's really great about this state is that the, 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 the distributors and the wholesalers actually love self-distribution because, as Paul kind of alluded to before, it's hard. It's really hard to do. And, and by the time they're ready for a distributor, they mm-hmm. know what the distributor has to do. Um, and they can appreciate it a lot more. Um, but but so so these smaller guys getting into it, you know, uh, really focusing on craft are, are really kind of learning to be wholesalers at, while at the same time, um, you know, really embracing the craft community. And and actually also if you've done some distribution for a while, if you've built up accounts, uh, right. you'll be a much more attractive brewery to uh, a distributor as opposed to someone starting from scratch. Um, you can come to them and say, look, here's you know here's a list of all my accounts. Yeah. Uh, on the le- legislative uh, side, uh, has has New York moved at all on the franchise laws and making it easier for producers to, and, and uh, wholesalers to uh, go their separate ways if uh, the relationship is not working? Uh, actually, New York State has the, has the most uh, progressive and advanced franchise law in the country um, at, yeah. at the moment. So you know we we you know a, a wholesaler and, and, a, and a manufacturer can basically part ways for a very small percentage and and it's and it's happening um, you know pretty amicably at this point um, you know we've been doing this for a couple of years uh, now and and uh, and it works and it has been working so the Maine Brewers Association out of Colorado and and a lot of other state uh, guilds are looking at New York to see how this little experiment is going. And so far, um, it's succeeding in New York State. That's great news. Um, <clears throat> back to uh, sort of the brand issue. I'm, I'm curious, uh, Paul, in L- Long Island, uh, mm-hmm. Blind Bat, 
how did you uh, how did you come up with that name, and what have you done to sort of build your brewery's uh, brand in that market? Well, I, I happen to be colorblind and extremely nearsighted, uh, so it kind of <laughs> grew out of that. And also, I was you know reading up about during prohibition, speakeasies were often called blind pigs or blind tigers, which was just a nickname for it. And I actually it all started with a doodle of actually I was going to originally call it blind tiger brewery, but uh, I did not want to uh, risk any confusion with there's a very famous, uh, wonderful landmark craft beer house uh, bar in uh, Manhattan, Blind Tiger Ale House, and I also found there was a brew pub in Indiana with the same name, so uh, it just kind of, you know, the eyesight thing just kind of led me to Blind Bat. Um, You know, I designed the logo myself, I do the labels myself, so uh, that's part of the fun for me. My wife sometimes makes fun of me because I'll have a, a label design before I actually have a, the recipe worked out for the beer. So uh, <laughs> sometimes it, sometimes the chicken comes before the egg or vice versa. But um, I haven't really thought of it as uh, – I never really sat down and said, okay, let me work out a branding and marketing strategy. It just really just came naturally out of things that I've been interested in um, and just doodling around. So it's almost like a form of Tourette's as opposed to a uh, – an actual <laughs> sit-down workout of strategy. Uh-huh. Um, let's talk for a moment about on-premise uh, beer sales. We're seeing uh, nationally uh, this trend of uh, you don't have to be a brew pub uh, in order to sell on-premise mm-hmm. anymore. In fact, uh, almost everyone who is producing has the space is uh, is opening up a tap room and selling directly to customers. Uh, yeah, that's what huge. Are you both, that's huge. Yeah, what are you both seeing in New York? Uh, well, I, th- I think we're definitely seeing more of that in New York than we used to, and, um, and particularly thanks to the efforts of, of uh, Paul with the association. They work really with uh, you know, key legislators in the New York State Senate and Assembly, and then uh, also with the governor, to, uh, to really, the last couple of years, it's just gotten where you're able, to, we, we, previously there was no business with the, that you could have as far as a tap room and serving pints uh, as a brewery in New York State. But that's something that uh, that's recently been, uh, again, thanks to the efforts of, of Paul and the association with the legislator, and, and we do have a governor who's very open to all this, um, to allow for that. And that's if you think about all the distribution problems we've been talking about, and how it's just going to get tighter and tighter space on shelves and tap lines mm-hmm. uh, in bars. Um, I think you still need to do that type of distribution. But if you can do, do you can have a location where you can do a healthy tap room business, um, which is what I've been looking for, uh, for my next location, I think that's key to uh, economic survival uh, for your brewery. Um, and, you know, it is one more piece of a business to run that normally you wouldn't have to have worried about. Uh, you've got staffing issues, training issues, additional insurance, but I think it's all worth it. Yeah, we, we passed legislation uh, not too long ago called the Craft Act, which allowed every brewery in the state to sell by the pint in their tap rooms. And that really changed uh, a lot for, for every brewer in the state um, in the sense that that's where their highest margins are. So for the breweries in planning, um, they you know, now had a new business model and were able to get loans from banks um, that they weren't able to get before uh, that was allowed. And the great thing about the brewing industry, and I think this is what legislators understand, not only you know, from a state perspective, but from a, a national perspective, is when brewers find more money, get more money put in their pockets, they don't go on vacations, they don't buy new cars, uh, they don't buy bigger houses, they reinvest in their businesses. 
they hire people, they get bigger, you know, more fermentation, those sort of things. So it really, uh, I think in this state, again, and I'll go back to, to the, how lucky we are in the state to have uh, the legislators that we do, you know, they get that, that these brewers, they, they pour everything back into their businesses, and it, it means more jobs and, and a greater economic impact. Uh, fortunately, and I think we might be um, you know, skewed a little bit in our view of things here in Vermont, we also have a very regulatory-friendly uh, environment uh, here in Vermont. Um, the the Montpelier uh, looks upon the industry very carefully, um, and who wouldn't when it brings so much uh, tourism dollars and, and mm-hmm. jobs uh, to the state? Um, but I, I wanted to just ask a little more, uh, go dig a little deeper in terms of how you guys have made some real progress here on the regulatory front, uh, the franchise laws, uh, the Craft Act. Um, in some other states, they have encountered sort of pushback by the wholesalers who who view changes in some of these laws, particularly the franchise laws, as being uh, detrimental uh, to their business. Um, how, what did you What did you do in New York to uh, build a, a, you know support and a relationship with the wholesalers to uh, to enable this very progressive legislation? Yeah, we we uh, we, we picked up the phone and, and started talking to them. Um, you know, I mean, it really uh, the wholesalers in this state again. You know, I, I really have not given them the amount of credit that they, they deserve, but the New York State Beer Wholesalers Association. Um, you know, what we do every year now, it used to be, you know, way back when would it be our lobbyists um, would try to gauge the temperature in Albany of, of what their lobbyist is saying. And, and it was this chess game of oh, what are they doing? Are they going to oppose this or, or that? And so, you know, we just had the, the, the our board of directors really gets all of the credit on this is, you know, they said, hey, let's pick up the phone and talk to them. Um, let's meet. Let's sit down and have lunch. And, and we've been doing that every year. We, you know, we get our legislative agenda put together. Uh, we get together with them and we discuss our agendas. And they literally say, you know, we won't oppose this or, or we don't like this. Or, and so we hammer things out um, um, before we go into a legislative session to know where the obstacles are. And, and that's really been helpful. We get stuff done now much quicker um, because they still have the money and they still have the power. Um, if they want to, uh, if they want to oppose something, chances are we're not going to get it passed. Um, mm-hmm. um, so we really try to work. You know, we we have to give them a lot of credit for for working with us. Well, great. Um, you guys uh, definitely are a model for other states. Um, I need to just take a moment here for our sponsor, the University of Vermont's Business of Craft Beer Program. If if you've dreamed about opening your own brewery or looking for a career change into craft beer, uh, our online certificate program offers industry-specific knowledge to make that possible. Um, Your instructors, again, are craft beer experts from across the U.S. and Canada. Uh, The University of Vermont's Business of Craft Beer program was developed for those specifically wanting to learn about the business side of this exciting industry. Uh, Feel free to give us a call at 800-639-3210 or uh, find us on uh, Facebook at University Business of Craft Beer. Hey, Greg, can I follow up yeah. on that, uh, that, yeah, that sponsorship plug? Because I think that's an important message, what you, just, what you just gave, in the sense that, you know, a lot of folks, and Paul, you might be able to elaborate on this, a lot of folks get mm-hmm. into this, 
as home brewers, and and uh, and that's great. But what you know, and what they really want to do is they just want to make beer for a living. And but what they find out when when they get into this is that it's a business. Um, it's it's yeah. it's more yeah. than just making beer, and it's 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 hard work. So I think programs. Um, you know, that UVM has and what we're creating here in New York State and what other states are doing are super critical. Uh, it is a business, and, and it's not easy. Um, and, and not a lot of people are, are getting rich doing it. So, no. so that's great that there's uh, education uh, going on in, in, you know, Vermont and elsewhere. Yeah, and, and yeah, t- definitely uh, I think it would be smart of anyone to take advantage of such an education and to be uh, – Forewarned is to be forearmed, as they say. You think about it like like someone who loves to cook. Uh, some of the best meals I've ever had were in people's homes. Or I'm very fortunate. My wife is an amazing cook. But cooking at home uh, is a whole other thing from running a restaurant. And the same thing goes for for brewing. Uh, you know, being opening up a brewery. Uh, some of the best beers I've ever had were have been homebrew. And um, but. Um, it's it is a business, and you uh, you have you spend much more of your time doing things other than actually brewing. So if 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 what you really want to do, and you want to if you all you want to do all day is brew beer, then uh, maybe maybe get a job as a brewer for for another brewery. But uh, you really have to be an entrepreneur and have that aspect, uh, knowing that you're going to be going into a tough business where the margins are not uh, huge and um, you know, even you you can see these breweries that look like large, successful operations, and and even there, they're 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 not rolling in the dough like uh, like it might look like from the outside. It's something you do because you love it and you enjoy the process, and part of that process is absolutely the business end of it. Yeah, uh, thanks for for pointing that out. Um, the the sort of the genesis of this program at UVM uh, goes back over four years ago. Uh, in conversations I had with Alan Newman after he left uh, Magic Hat. Of course, he was the founder of Magic Hat Brewery. And uh, in those conversations, uh, Alan identified um, the business side of the industry, particularly in an age of tremendous growth, as being, you know, one of the areas of need. There, There were many brewing programs out there and excellent ones. And we have, of course, a great uh, brewing program here, um, American Brewers Guild in, in Vermont. Um, so we, we did not want to get into, we didn't have expertise to get into that side of the, the business, but we felt there was an opportunity um, to sort of uh, extend the, the brand here in Vermont of, of our uh, craft beer industry into education. And uh, the, the number of students that we've seen across the country has been uh, you know, supporting, uh, certainly supported that analysis of, of the need in the industry. Uh, we just enrolled our third cohort uh, with over 80 students um, who are participating in this, this fall series. So it's, uh, it's a pretty uh, strong demand out there for uh, learning about the business side. And as you, as you pointed out, most of our, most of our students are um, home brewers or have been, um, they've, uh, envisioned uh, either a, a second career or they retired and ready to start another career. Um, and they want to do something that they're really quite passionate about. And, and this industry uh, certainly does find a lot of passionate people. 
Mm-hmm. And I can tell you to elaborate on that, that there are a lot of breweries in this state that are in need, in every state, I'm sure Vermont as well, of, of, of people who are educated, at least, you know, some on the brewing business. So, you know, there's a lot of people who might want to get into it, and they go to a brewery and they show up and say, I want to be a brewer, but I don't know how will you teach me. And, and I think brewers appreciate, uh, uh, appreciate that, but they also don't want to train somebody so that they can leave and go somewhere else. So I think that if you, if you are educated, people in this business um, and have programs like that, they're already a step ahead, and, and breweries are looking for, for people like that. I think that, that the job market is there for them. Yeah, such a person would definitely be an asset to a, to a, uh, going, a already established brewery. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the sort of un, unstated uh, uh, aspects of our program is um, – we de- we certainly demonstrate through the business plan development uh, phase of this program uh, how uh, challenging this is. This is truly building a business um, for those who want to launch their own breweries. And if we slow people down just a little bit uh, to either go out and work in the industry first or to just plan very carefully uh, before launching their brewery, then I think we've accomplished uh, a lot of what we set out to do. Yeah, excellent. And it'll only make the industry continue to be strong. You know, I think, you know, the education part of it, um, you know, the quality of the beer, that all goes hand in hand, and, and it's super important. You touched on uh, quality a few times here. And in, in a uh, recent conversation I had with some people here in Vermont, um, we also had a you know, lengthy conversation around quality. Um, what, what do you uh, – it's, it's a tricky issue because it seems that most uh, – um, most brewers uh, feel that their products are of high quality. Um, but, you know, obviously, ultimately, um, the, the market is going gonna, is gonna to inform them whether that's the case or not. Um, do you have any uh, um, programs in place, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, laboratories that work with your breweries or training programs like you, uh, I think UNH and University of Southern Maine are now uh, working on this, uh, where, where they're really both providing space for uh, expensive lab equipment uh, for breweries um, and also training programs to bring people into the industry, or are you doing just uh, peer-to-peer training uh, addressing the quality issue? I, Paul, this, I'd be interested to hear from you on this, but I, I, sure. from a broader perspective, Cornell University and, and Morrisville are, are, are great partners to us. They do a lot of research, and, and they've done a lot for the wine industry, and they're getting more into the brewing side where they will be testing beer uh, for breweries. You know, I think a lot of brewers uh, might be afraid to have their beer tested uh, for fear that there might be something wrong uh, with it. I know um, I, I live in Rochester, New York, and um, you know, North American Breweries is based here. And they do uh, free testing for any breweries um, that, that want beer tested. Um, yeah, it, it's tricky. It's a tricky. It's a tricky subject, really, because you know brewers don't want to admit that their their, their beer might be flawed in any way, um, and, and so you know, which I think is which is too bad. I you know, there's that saying that you know, I, the beer might be you might brew a bad batch of beer, um, and they say you know I can't afford to dump it, and you know, mm-hmm. the, the, really the response is you you can't afford not to dump it, and, correct, and uh, and and so. 
you know, it, it, it's, you have to kind of walk lightly around that subject. And, and I've been around the state and, and I've had beer that's clearly been off, um, whether it's diacetyl or whether it's oxidized. And, and I think it's just an education, a matter of education. And, I, you know, a lot of these brewers, again, are getting into this. Uh, it's not easy to go from being a home brewer to, to now all of a sudden brewing on bigger systems. And I think that it's, there's no shame in admitting that there's a learning curve. Um, and, and I think some of some of the best brewers are able to say, okay, you know, this isn't right, and, and I need to, you know, make, make the batch better. And, and those are the ones that are, are going to succeed. You have to detach your ego uh, from a certain point and and really be objective about it. Uh, no one likes to hear they have an ugly baby, um, but it's it's a business and. Uh, and while I mean I think it's terrific that 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 there's a resource up in Rochester, I'm, I'm not aware of any down here in this part of the state. Um, you can build your own lab. Um, uh, it's just one more thing to do. So if there's if there's a central place uh, you can get where you can get uh, a dispassionate uh, assessment of your of your beer, then. Um, you know, testing in a lab, then that, that's that's a great that's a great resource. If I were up in that area, I would definitely take advantage of it. Um, and obviously, you you should have certain you know your senses should be uh, be able to tell you if there's a problem with your batch for sure. And and I agree, it's um, it's better to uh, not release something that's 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 off just because you're like, wow, I spent time and money brewing that, but it'll it'll cost you uh, and your reputation. And uh, some people, they won't give you another try if they're not happy with your beer for whatever reason. Yeah. So it's yeah. bad, bad. It's bad business. You have to you have to you have to approach it uh, with a little 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 more of a detachment of your ego. Because your friends and family they'll always love it. Yeah. <laughs> they're not always the best gauge, but <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, uh, we're out of time today. Um, I'd like to thank Paul Leon, Executive Director of the New York Brewers Association, and uh, Paul Glugokensky. Uh, you got I it. Always, <laughs> I always butcher your name, I'm afraid. But, That's fine. Uh, uh, Blind Bat Brewery uh, based on Long Island for being with us today and adding your valuable insights into today's craft beer industry, um, particularly with a New York focus. Um, our next show is scheduled for October 11th. We'll focus on alternative approaches to financing craft breweries as we examine Kickstarter and crowd, crowdfunding uh, funding options. Uh, our guests will be several national breweries who have successfully utilized these approaches. Until then, uh, again, Paul and Paul, thank you for participating today. We really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks thank for you. asking, thank Greg. We appreciate it. It was great talking yeah. with you. Yeah, absolutely. And good luck to everyone out there, and definitely take advantage of this educational resource if you can. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and uh, for listeners, uh, don't forget to visit your local breweries. Take care. Thanks again. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.